0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and we have a great episode for you again this week as I had the opportunity to speak with Danielle Strickland. Danielle is a speaker, trainer, and global social justice advocate She has ministered in some of the grittiest environments around the world, addressing some of the most critical social issues of our day by sharing the boundless love and hope of Jesus. Danielle has written several books, including her latest, which is entitled Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. Now, in this week's episode, Danielle and I discuss the issue of gender inequity and how it relates to the gospel. Danielle shares the wrong question we are typically asking as church leaders, while helping us identify the right question that we should be wrestling with, which is really rooted in the gospel. We talk about the concept of mutuality, and Danielle shares some great examples of how this is an incredible time of hope for the church and kingdom impact. But before we dive into our conversation, I want to let you know about a great opportunity coming up for your churches. You can invite your church to the movies to see I Still Believe, a film based on the true story of worship artist Jeremy Camp. It's a life-changing story of tragedy, love and faith, and for group tickets, you can go to istillbelievemovie.com and simply click group tickets. So be sure to check that out. But now, I want to invite you to join me in my conversation with Danielle Strickland. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome.
0: Hey, it's a great joy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yes, yes. I'm excited about our conversation today because today there's there's a lot of conversation in our world about gender equality, right? And uh, we see this in even our major entertainment award shows. We, we just, as we're recording this, came f- through the Oscars. And a lot of those shows, they're being challenged in regard to gender equality and in representation. We see this in the entertainment world. We see this in politics. We see this in so many different facets of our world. And this is definitely a conversation that is happening in the church today. Uh, so to begin, Danielle, can you talk to us a little bit of why do you believe there's a heightened awareness around gender equality today?
0: Well, you know, I, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a heightened awareness. I'd call it this cry that's kind of come out of, uh, of women around the world. Uh, and I think there's a whole lot of reasons why the cry has been heard, you know, the internet being one of those uh, reasons where there's been a platform for women to actually share their stories, uh, and for people not to be able to shut them down. So I think one, there's just been a vehicle for which women have shared their voice. I think there are tipping points in culture, uh, when the culture needs to change. And I think this is one of those tipping points. Um, I think also from a kingdom perspective, you know, from a person of faith, I think this is the great, beautiful news of the gospel. So I actually think it's maybe one of the best opportunities to explain and present and help people discover that Jesus is uh, the great equalizer, you know, that he's the great liberator for all peoples, uh, all backgrounds, no matter what. And I think that Jesus is maybe has never been more relevant to today's hunger.
1: That's good, Danielle. And in your latest book, Better Together, (laughs) you you really tackle the subject. And you sort of begin by clarifying um, the difference uh, among several terms that that we kind of throw around in these conversations, such as equity, equal rights, equality. Um, Can you provide some framework for us in regard to these different terms?
0: Yeah, I think particularly around equality and equity is probably the biggest confusion. Uh, And this is, you know, we kind of feel like women have equality if they have the right to do something. Uh, and then, of course, equity is the use of that right. So, I, you know, I just very simply explain it like I give my son the toy he's always wanted for Christmas. It's a it's an electric control uh, car and I give it to him and then I take it and I put it up on a shelf and I say, you know, isn't it awesome? You got this toy for Christmas, but he actually can't use the toy. Uh, and so I don't even know if that's a gift <laughs> mm. <laughs> or if that's like a torture. Right. You know what I mean? And right. so equality is the gift. Equity is the use of it it's actually putting it into practice. So I think this actually isn't that difficult for us to figure out. Like we might believe that women have uh, the capacity to lead, for example, and the gifts to lead and also the availability to lead. But actually we have no women leaders leading at our, you know, in our organizations or our churches. And then we have to ask ourselves, oh wow, so they have this equality, you know, they've got this like so-called gift of equality but actually they're not using it. And then the questions come, why not? Why aren't they using it? And what are the barriers for them discovering that? Because I don't know about you, but in my experience of the kingdom, especially in church life as it is now, I need all hands on deck.
1: Right, right. (laughs)
0: Like there's a lot to do in this world and there's a lot of people to reach. And we need everybody uh, like Paul suggested Romans, you know, just like if you have a gift, would you please use it, you know, to the best of your ability? So helping people discover and then use their gifts is uh, part of the the conversation I want to
1: have. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And one of the things that you point out in the book is you talk about this idea of healing this divide. Like, um, that's not just something that we necessarily just wake up one day and say, okay, we'll you know, put these three things into practice and everything kind of flips a switch. But there's this kind of healing that has to take place. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what that healing kind of looks like you know, in the church context?
0: Yeah, for me, this is maybe maybe the most important moment for the gospel is for us to rediscover what Paul told us was the ministry of reconciliation, mm. which explains what the gospel is on so many levels. And I know most of us, you know, we grew up from a conservative background. You think the ministry of reconciliation is primarily about our reconciled relationships with God But when you listen to the person of Jesus, you realize that the greatest commandments that he gave us, you know, when when people, when it boils down to it, it is reconciliation with God. It's a loving relationship with God, with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength in Matthew's gospel. But it's also this loving relationship with your neighbor and with yourself. And this ministry of reconciliation is about bringing this fragmented world back into right relationship with god and with others and so the 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 relationship between women and men has been broken i don't know if that's news to anybody listening it's been broken for Mm -hmm. generations i mean it is and the this is this tipping point we're in now where women and the stats and information and the internet has allowed us to see how broken it really is and it's staggeringly broken i mean 19 million times the hashtag me too uh, with stories of sexual abuse and church, too, and silences and spiritual, and all of these social media campaigns just to get women to share their stories. And it's overwhelming. One in four girls will be sexually abused before she turns um, 18 in America. One in four, wow. you know, it's yeah. a, a woman's self-confidence, according to all the research peaks when she's nine years old. Mm-hmm. So if you're a father and you're listening to that, I want you to hear it again. A woman's self-confidence in her life, in our current culture peaks The highest it will ever be is at nine years old. After that, it's an assault on a woman's confidence because of culture. It's puberty. It's high school. It's sexual uh, assault and abuse. It's a a dominant culture that kind of pushes people down, women down. So um, all of these factors are important things to keep in mind because we have to we we can't just move. I wish we could just like get on with it. You know, like and my (laughs) personality is like, come on, everybody suck it up. Let's move forward, you know, right. But actually, there's a breach. There's a brokenness. And I think the brokenness between men and women goes all the way back. It's the first thing that broke at the fall. If you read Genesis, Mm. Uh, you know, we broke our relationship with God. And then immediately the relationship between each other broke. And it became hierarchical and it became difficult and it became blame and shame and fear driven. And uh, then it just got hard. And if I understand the gospel correctly, Jesus has come to break that curse. And he's come to break the curse of death. He's come to break the curse of that hardness. And and he's come to reconcile everything to itself. So that includes men and women. And in order for that to happen, we need to do some work. We've got to do some repenting. We have to do some, which will include acknowledging the pain and the, the things that we've done, whether intentionally or unintentionally, or the things we haven't done that has contributed to this kind of situation. And then we're going to actually have to make it right. And women are going to have to start, you know, more and more just telling the truth, owning their stories, stop letting shame and fear uh, direct their future so that we can change this for the next generation.
1: That's that's excellent, Danielle. I'm curious, what would you say to the person within the church who says, uh, you know, or or, or feels, and even from, um, you know, from biblical, what they consider biblical evidence, that um, this is how God really set it up, though? That um, this this hierarchical structure that that you referenced is the way that God intends it to be within the church, because we we hear that a lot from from you know different traditions within the church. I know there's some that are you know lean more one way, more the other way, but this is kind of a common conversation that's happening in the church today. Um, so so how do you respond to those who kind of hold to that view? Well,
0: you know, I would I would um, challenge them. I just push them a little bit to just just discovered a little bit more. Maybe take off your preconceived lenses and have another look. Um, I always say if you want to model sin to the world go for hierarchy. Mm. If you if you want to model god to the world go for a shared model of leadership which is set up very very clearly in Genesis the ideal, you know, god's ideal how he designed it was for men and women to steward the, the world together. Um, And then hierarchy is the result of sin. It's very, very clear there. And then Jesus, of course, which should be the lens we see everything through. I mean, all the scriptures are seen through the lens of Jesus. His behavior was remarkable. I mean, just off the charts, remarkably empowering to everyone, Mm -hmm. no matter what background you're from, no matter what gender you were. I mean, this is— Uh, It is so staggering, actually. I find it very difficult that we've missed this. I feel like the only way we've missed just the liberating reality of what Jesus is and who he is as a leader and a savior and God is that we've had some lenses on in the beginning. You know what I mean? And I would say just like, I mean, I I don't know. I, I hope there's a large portion of the church that's really sad that we really believe that God preordained slavery. Hmm. And endorsed it and recognized it and stamped his approval on it. And we stood by the scriptures, even though we actually created special slave Bibles where we took all the pieces of scripture out that (laughs) didn't support slavery. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But, you know, we obviously went to the scriptures with a pre idea of what it said and then let it fit our our context, I would say if we could, if, if it was just possible for us to lay those things down and look again and maybe fall in love again with the realities of, of who Jesus is and what he's calling us to, uh, if that doesn't fit with the structure and the systems at your own places, I mean, part of the idea of me writing this book was to suggest some ways you could begin to try and to begin to discover that we're actually designed to be better together. So, um, it is meant to be challenging. And I would just say, like, it's not meant to be condemning. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say, like, oh, you know, it's terrible. I'm just trying to say, it's time. Like, have another look. And, uh, you know, I have such beautiful, theologically robust friends who have, uh, by the scriptures itself, just from the scriptures, have come into this beautiful awareness that and understanding that, that it, the gospel is so much more liberating than they at first thought.
1: Yeah, I love that, and and I can say um, through reading your book better together. Um, your your tone throughout is one that is very it's it's very encouraging. Um, so so I, I know you're not coming across to kind of condemn. you it's it's an encouragement as to and an invitation even um, to experience kind of um, a, a fuller ex- experience of what it means to live out the gospel, which which I so appreciate. And one of the things that you, you discuss and talk about, I think just really directly to what you shared, was this idea of mutuality. And the importance of that. Can you kind of unpack mutuality for us?
0: Yeah, I, I suggest this is a Seth Richardson as a got, did a beautiful article uh, on this. And it was so helpful to me as I was researching sort of what it means for men and women to work together and and really attack a, what I would say is a paralyzing season right now. Everyone's so afraid. Mm-hmm. And whenever we're led by fear, you know, whenever fear is the motivator for either what we do or what we don't do, we will either be oppressed or the oppressor. Because fear is the cycle of oppression. That's just how fear works. So it's how oppression works. So I, I just was like, we've got to not let fear dictate what we do or don't do in the season. So that was part of part of me was like, we've got to look through the lens of faith. When you look at difference, no matter what the difference is. So if you take any every every human being is different. It's that's how we're created. That's how our fingerprints are formed before we're even born. We're different. We're knitted and designed intentionally different from each other. I don't know how many kids you have or if you have kids, but I have three Mm. boys, same parents, totally different people, like complete, like staggeringly different. Like you're just like, how is it possible that these people came from the same parents? I don't even understand. (laughs) They're different, totally different tastes, styles, you know, uh, personalities, because difference is what it means to be human. What happens is when we take one piece of difference and we are afraid of it, we like elevate it. And the fear makes us see difference as a threat when difference in its intention is meant to be an opportunity for us to be better together. I mean, this is how humans work. So our family's better, not because we have three exact same children, but because they're different.
1: Right. And their
0: differences through the lens of faith and belonging and family and inclusion and empowerment, those differences become better. They become a part of how we get better and better and bigger and bigger and, and learn more and experience more together. So mutuality is this is this idea that difference is not a threat. That difference, regardless of what the difference is, difference is an opportunity for us to actually need one another and use one another in all the right ways, like in an empowering sense to use our gifts, to use our perspectives. To use, and, and, I mean, we see this in Jesus so well. I mean, he didn't really need people. Right. He could do whatever he wanted. He was all powerful. He didn't, but he asked people for help all the time. Like he was inter, he was he was creating, um, giving power away. He was empowering people. He was asking for help. He was leaning on his disciples. He was creating what I would call a mutuality, which is this: we're better together.
1: Yeah, that's that, that's excellent. And, and when you talk about that and thinking about your kids, that's so try We have six kids, including a set of twins. And even the twins, um, you know, there's such a difference between them and they're so unique. And and that's kind of really important to see that as that all comes together and we can see this uh, throughout scripture, which I, I love that you, you kind of champion that idea is to be looking at it in scripture and in Jesus ministry, as we see all of these different people from different backgrounds, different perspectives, and how, as we draw them together, something beautiful happens. And, and that's, you know, what the gospel is is really all about. And it seems that we might be missing that, or we're definitely missing that um, if we're not looking for that.
0: Yeah. If you can even trade suspicion for curiosity, mm. yeah, you know, even just that you, you can go from the lens of fear, which is one of suspicion. Right. What are they after? What do they want? What's going to happen? You know, to a, a lens of curiosity, which what, what am I going to learn? like what could happen here like what's possible here even that like just a tiny little and i think you know that the you know prejudice always distorts your perception Right. That's, it's a, a your prejudice always distorts your perception the problem is you're not always aware of your prejudice but if you can become aware of it no matter regardless of what it is I, i'm not suggesting everybody is prejudiced i'm just saying that we have these biases that right. are part of our cultural norms. so if you can start to identify your prejudice through a lens of curiosity You can stop being so afraid and discover some things. And sometimes I say to people, you know, what are you so afraid of? People who kind of push back and go like, no, women, you know, shouldn't lead and they have to be submitted and they're under this authority, you know, and I'm like, why are you so afraid? Hmm. What what is why is fear driving your decisions? Tell me more. About what you're afraid of. Are you afraid that women will tell people about Jesus? Are you afraid that you know what mm-hmm. I mean? they'll they'll use their gifts? Like, are you afraid? I don't. I don't know what. Do you, I, it, but identifying that fear would be a super helpful
1: beginning. Yeah, that's that's good. And and one of the other things that you touch on and is is this idea of listening outside of kind of the same you know people who are thinking in the same way all the time. Like one of the challenges is that we tend to whoever bias is. As you mentioned, we, we tend to kind of uh, spend time within that same kind of camp or in that same tribe or people that are kind of saying the same things because, one, just naturally as people, it helps us feel be- better about our own opinions. But historically, we've seen the danger of that. I mean, you mentioned slavery earlier, and, and that's you know a very, very good example. Um, but you challenge people to begin to um, kind of listen and explore, and, and I love the word you used there, curiosity, Right. To begin to to listen to people who are who are looking at things maybe from a little different perspective. Can you talk to us a little bit more about kind of the importance of uh, just kind of being more open when it comes to uh, navigating how we are living within the church and leading the church?
0: Well, this can actually be one of the most exciting things because, um, I mean, there's so much to do, you know, and church right. leaders listening. I mean, <laughs> I get it. You're exhausted and tired and you're trying to keep up and and you're doing an awesome job, too. Like I've never been more hopeful that the church is the answer, you all know, right, that right. the church is the hope of the world. I mean, it, it. and this is what gets me really excited about this topic because, uh, like we said at the beginning of this podcast, like people want this. Like people want to figure out how to do this. People need this. People need empowering all around the world. And the church, I think, is this – you know, the, the city on a hill for this, this is the light, this is let us show you. And even in its origin, you know, the early church in Acts, one of the signs and wonders of the church was that they, they had equality, <laughs> like in right. a system that was way more, you know, infused with like patriarchy and division and like hierarchy than ours is, you know, even today. So if they could do it, and they could figure this out, then and it was a sign and wonder. I mean, literally, it was like, what's happening? I mean, it, it threatened emperors. And then it also, uh it, it drew a lot of people. And I think that same possibility is true for the church today, is to be a sign and a wonder by the way that we treat each other. And, um, and so I get really passionate about this. But Amplify Peace is a, a, has a model. This is an organization I do to, to, uh, to uh, help people uh, be, become, become peacemakers in the world. But uh, they use this little model, just really super simple. And this might be a good takeaway for you if you're, you're busy. Uh, listen, learn, and live. This is as simple as it could get. Listen, but listen to voices you don't normally hear. Mm. And this is so important and critical in the days in which we're living, especially because all of the algorithms are designed to feed you information that you want. Right. So you will never even just on a like a news, you will never read what you don't want to hear uh, unless you intentionally do it. But even in terms of like, like I suggested, like if you're like, yeah, I really think women should lead, but there are no women leading at my church, then you you need to find some women and ask them why, why they're not leading. And you need to find some voices that you wouldn't normally hear because they're outside of the power structure or the systems and structures of your, uh, whatever it is that you're leading and listen to them, just listen to them. And this is so hard for leaders. And I would particularly say it's especially difficult for male leaders to not fix it, but to just listen well. Uh, This is a skill that will really, really serve you super well if you can just listen for a while and let it sink in and figure out, you know, just ask for some help. And then the second thing is, as you begin to discover the things that are in the way, which you would not have known, you know, this is not like a willful, we're keeping women out, you know, this is literally just the way things go. It's like gravity, you know, a a male dominated patriarchal leadership style is gravity in the world. That's just where things will land unless we're intentionally doing something different. So you'll discover some things and then you'll need to learn how you can do things differently. And this is beautiful. I mean, what a great don't we all need to do this in all kinds of different ways. But in this way, this can be really liberating because there are people who are doing it differently and it's beautiful what they're doing uh, and super liberating. And then the, the third thing is then implement, 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 live differently hmm. and then just repeat. And I feel like this just goes on and on for my whole life in different areas that God highlights to me, different areas that it's time in my community. I listen to voices I'm not hearing. I learn how to do things differently and then I live differently as a result. And then just I just keep repeating and God just keeps uh, revealing more and more beautiful things that he wants me to live into. And it's it's super liberating.
1: Yeah. Listen, learn and live. I love that. That's a great framework. Danielle, in your experience as you uh, travel, as you um, speak, as you write, as you engage with with the church, Capital C Church, what do you see is the biggest struggle as the church when it comes to this idea of uh, gender equity and equal opportunity and mutuality?
0: Yeah, I'm going to say, well, there's a few things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say Fear. Uh, and I'm going to say fear is probably the number one struggle for the church in every change, in right, everything. Right. We're, we're petrified. A lot of people that I meet are just terrified, and they're terrified of all kinds of different things or what could be or what might be or losing what we know. I think we're at a massive cultural shift. Uh, I think the internet has changed everything, not just information but also power and platform. And so the church struggles with like, ah, I'm losing control. You know, that's how most churches feel. We're losing control. Mm-hmm. I think we're afraid of losing a generation, which we should be in summer cards. We got to be paying attention to like where those guys are going right. and why they're going and what they need and all those sorts of things. So I would say fear is number one. I'd say culture is number two. And this maybe is where fear is rooted. We're afraid of losing what we hold dear. And we haven't done the critical work of really determining what is cultural and what is necessary. Mm. And that's going to be an imperative work that we're going to need to do. And this is where I say identifying your fear is really important because you might have rooted your cultural understanding of women and family and even community and outreach and church. And it's not actually scriptural. You've just applied your culture to the scriptures because that's what you've known to do. And you might need to do some untangling of what is necessary culture and in in the season of change in which we're in, whew, we gotta get this. And then I would Mm -hmm. say the third thing is we're always asking or often asking the wrong question, which is like, what's best for my church? It should never be the question any church ever asks. The question should always be, how do we help the world? How do we save people? How do we be the light of the world? How do we how do we be salt? How do we season this uh, this this culture in which we're in? That's always the question. It's never about what's best for us. That's that's the wrong question. As soon as we start asking those questions, putting the church at the center instead of the church as a servant uh, and a, as a beacon of love and hope and life in the world, we're we're always going to make some some poor poor decisions.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's very very helpful, Danielle. You, you mentioned that you're excited about where the church is today and, you know, that the church is, you know, there's there's great hope for uh, kingdom impact that can be made. Can you share maybe some examples, maybe some stories of where you have seen this working, you know, and this this kind of blossoming or flourishing uh, what we've been discussing?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. So, um Like all over the place. But uh, let me give you a couple of highlights in uh, Lebanon. Mm -hmm. uh, There's been beautiful uh, Christians reaching out, talking about a ministry of reconciliation, reaching out to Syrian Muslims, uh, refugees there. Uh, And the Syrians, of course, if you don't know, the Syrians aren't the friends of the Lebanese people. They're the enemies. Uh, They occupied Lebanon during the civil war there. So many of them have personal woundedness there. And they've just uh, believed God that the ministry of reconciliation was going to be the way the gospel would be known. So they've been serving those refugees with no strings attached. And those folks are coming to know the Lord in record numbers. Uh, uh, Like more Muslims have been saved in the last 10 years and in all 1,500 years since the Muslim faith began. Mm. uh so god's up to something in the world something beautiful and we can feel the pain of that right like we're we're frightened to death but also uh there is this incredible opportunity before us. 70 million refugees in the world right now uh, on average they stay in a refugee camp for 20 years so we have a whole generation of people stuck uh who are in desperate need of good news that's just that's just one sliver i was with a, a catholic order believe it or not in europe 9,000 Catholic kids, 1,000 new believers uh, uh, in relationship with Jesus, women everywhere, leading kids, like praying for kids, like liberated. And, and I mean, even within the structure that is uh, stuck in thousands of years of history, you know, talk about hope to, for change. If God can change the Catholic Church, he can change yours, I mm. promise you. <laughs> There's a thing called Brave Global, where it Churches all across America are becoming mobilized to reach vulnerable girls before they're trafficked. Mm. Uh, and that is an empowering conference for girls. Something when a church does that, something shifts in the church. There, that's a it's a fascinating discovery of how serving actually releases the purpose uh, that your church has. There's something beautiful about that. But anyway, I could go on and on. I am super hopeful uh, about the the church. I, I just I'm in love.
1: That's excellent, Daniel. Um, What about any examples of some some shifts in uh, leadership and shared le- leadership in the Western church?
0: Yeah, so I talked to uh, Jeff. I use in the book, I use an example of Jeff Lockyer. He's got a, a, a campus, a bunch of churches here in Canada that are growing and thriving. And he's one of the examples I used as a, a guy who is like, we all believe women should lead, but none are leading here. Mm. And so he actually started asking women why they're not leading. And it was a fascinating discovery for their team because they were all, it was it was a boys club. They were all friends. They started the church together together, Uh, the mentorship model that they used was always one on one. So then that was just like, you know, then we're stuck in this, like, you're not going to mentor a woman one on one, because that wouldn't be proper. And then women are just locked out of development, of, of even just being able to see, you know, I talk a lot in the book of segregated models of ministry being such a damaging thing for the church, because I, I'll meet leaders who just say, I don't have any women leaders. And I'll tell them, tell me about your women's ministry at this church. And they're always like, oh, it's on fire. Like, it's getting people <laughs> like, and I'm like, well, clearly someone there is a leader, right? <laughs> and they let them into your church. Cause like, if you want the women, like the women's ministry is like on fire and they're like trying to catch up and they're like, we don't have leaders here. I'm just like oh, bring these leaders from the segregated model into the mainstream. But of course no one's even thought of that. None of the senior pastors have ever been to see any women leaders in action cause they do it separately. Um, so anyway, we have this like disconnect, uh, problem, but Jeff began to connect the dots, identify, uh, leaders and potential leaders and develop them and invite them. And uh, he got a coach, Ellen Duffield is her name, but there's a, lots of other churches, Soul City uh, in Chicago, beautiful model of integrated uh, team-based leadership there. Um, all I, I mean, so many, but the, Jeff's is cool because it went from zero, like zero leaders to now I think they have 52% female representation in all their executive boards. And why Jeff is excited is interesting because they had done uh you know just a quality uh survey of the church life how everybody felt about things before they had begun the changes and then they did one five years after the changes and he said the quality of the church like how people view themselves how they feel about themselves how everybody the measurements on everything attendance outreach mission feel good are like through the through the roof uh so he said we're not even happy we did it just because it was was the right thing to do? We're happy pragmatically that we did it because we're doing better than we've ever done before.
1: Yeah, that's that's excellent, and that's it's one of the things that you you share in the book about how you know why it kind of matters. Not just from the perspective of like you mentioned, not just you know it's the right thing to do, but literally the the positive impact and the incredible things that really come out of this. Uh, can you touch um, just briefly? on some of those, some of those positive things that are birthed, um, whenever we really apply the idea of equality?
0: Yeah, look, I think we're modeling something to the world. I I think relationships, uh, I think like we talked a lot about fear, we're modeling like a non-fear, like a faith-based way to live. We're modeling empowerment and what it looks like. Um, you know, I, I think it's really a fascinating thing when you have, daughters particularly and I think this is a real season like I was talking to a church planter uh, organization with a guy leader and and he said like my daughter is 21 years old feels called to plant a church I have no idea where to send her to get trained (laughs) because there's like Three places I would normally send, but they don't accept women, church right. planners. I mean, just think about that for a sec. So it's his own daughter, 21 years old, called to plant a church, gifted, capable, willing, wanting, but nowhere to go to be trained and to be supported. And then he's like, who's gonna mentor her? And then, like, and then he just starts thinking through, oh, this is why there aren't more church planners. Um, it's not because women aren't called to plant a church, it's because there's no means for them mm-hmm. to plant a church. No one's identifying them, no one's developing them, there's no one to mentor them, and on and on. This Goes, but just imagine. I mean, does anyone think we need two fewer churches in the world? Like, (laughs) let's uh, let's unleash um, uh, this beautiful model to the world of shared leadership is actually a demonstration of what God looks like. And I think this is the other thing that maybe might be a theological um, awakening in our time. You know, with 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 just God as Trinity. You know, I think we spent a whole generation thinking that. The Trinity's hierarchical, and God the Father is in charge like a CEO. And I think we built church leadership structure around this and all kinds of things. And A rediscover of the Trinitarian God, you know, just the shared leadership model. God is not alone. He's not leading alone. Leadership's not lonely. It should be shared. This is the beautiful—which is why there's only one time in the created order that God says this is not going to work out. And it's when Adam is leading by himself. Mm. That's it. Every other time it's good. And then after he creates women and men to work together, he said, this is good, good in the Hebrew. That's Mm -hmm. this is very good. This is double good. (laughs) And um, so I think it's also what we want to model to the world. The other thing, can I just say real quickly, is the single male leader is falling. It's an it's falling all across the world. Like I I don't have to point out the scandal after scandal after Mm -hmm. scandal. I mean, I wrote this book because I had to speak at the. GLS, uh, the Global Leadership Summit, right after, you know, in the middle of the Hybel scandal. right. And I mean, he's just one of, you know, he's not by himself. I know people would like to scapegoat him, but there's he's got a lot of company um, and probably even more company that we know. Those are just the big enough ones to be outed. Right. This model, there's something wrong with it. It's not working this kind of hierarchical male driven top leader uh, leading by himself. I don't think it's working practically. I don't think it's working for a next generation, but I also don't think it's working for them. Like I almost just, I want to say to every male leader, like, I'm sorry, your life's so lonely. I'm sorry. You're trapped in this system that isn't reflecting God, even to you. Um, I want you to, awaken to the Trinitarian God, this God of relationship that leads in this beautiful community and how we can figure that out. And this is why, you know, anyway, I'm going, I'm going to go on forever, but (laughs) this is why marriage is so key, right? Right. It's just this idea that the shared leadership model, like this is God. And I I talk about this in, in the book a little bit about even parenting and that the styles in which we parented from a generation uh, where my dad You know, well, both my mom and dad worked in pastoral. They're both church leaders, and then they would come home, and my dad would not participate, go back out to the church. My mom would do all the domestic duties, and I never really saw my dad Mm. uh, because he was the leader at the church. You know, he had bigger fish to fry, and the the reality of what that meant in our life, in terms of what we saw modeled, um, and that I wish it was different. I I wish I had seen my dad more, and I wish my dad and mom would have shared a little bit more so that I could see that relationship together and what that would have impacted me as a, as a young girl growing up. And then to, to sort of see the difference in my relationship with my husband and the shared, even the shared parenting and the shared responsibilities and the shared household tasks, sort of liberating us together to love each other better and how that affects my boys, you know, like, it's just so beautiful. So in so many ways, I want to say, like, don't feel shame and don't feel like you're not getting it right. And don't feel like, you know, this is bad news. Just Start discovering the beauty of it, the grace of it, the goodness of it, the Trinitarian love, you know, that flourishes in community and see if we couldn't match our leadership structures and systems and tables of governance to to reflect more of God to the world and to each other.
1: Excellent, Danielle. Thank you so much for being with us. Real quickly, if someone's listening in and they want to learn more about uh, the book, Better Together, or even uh, to connect with you in some way, what, what are the best ways to to do that?
0: Yeah, I have a website, daniellestrickland.com. So that's probably the easiest, all the stuff's there. I have a podcast and um, yeah, probably the easiest thing. Uh, You can get better together on any, any place you get books, uh, all the, all the places, all
1: the places. Excellent. We'll have, we'll have those links for listeners in the show notes. So you can check there. Those who are listening in again, Danielle, thank you so much. So what a refreshing conversation, much needed conversation, I think. And I just uh, so appreciate your posture and um, just your spirit in the midst of all of it. Thank you for um, being a voice in the church today.
0: Yeah, you got it. What a joy. Thank you.
1: All right. God bless you. Don't forget to check out the new faith-based film about Jeremy Camp's incredible true life story, I Still Believe. And you can get group tickets for your church or your small group or another minister group by visiting istillbelievemovie.com and clicking group tickets.